Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's our passage today. Matthew chapter 1, throughout the Sundays of Advent, we're looking at the things that we receive because of God with us. Today, God with us brings love. Here's the key concept this morning. God with us is an expression of love in its purest form. God with us. While you're finding Matthew chapter 1, I want to remind you that the Christmas story is a love story wrapped up within a love story. It's the tale of the love of God for a race of rebels that rebel against him, and it features the love of a young couple, Joseph and Mary. Imagine with me all the creative energy that's been devoted to telling love stories throughout human history, all the songs and all the, 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 the um, aspects, the expressions of love. From the movies we have today, scrolling back through time, the novels, the poems, the plays, the operas, the epics, all telling a tale of love. It seems throughout our, our entire history, we humans have been inspired and moved and confused by love. And that confusion shows up in some of our song titles that have to do with love and the loss of love. Remember the artist Ruby Wright? She recorded a song, Billy broke my heart in Walgreens and I cried all the way to Sears. (laughs) Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn recorded a song, You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. Johnny Cash, these are all real titles. Johnny Cash recorded a song, I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. Wow. But probably my favorite, Jimmy Buffett. Some of you probably have his records. If the phone doesn't ring, it's me. (laughs) We are confused by love and the loss of love. Inspired but confused. But God's love brought him to earth. In the middle of a human love story in a small village in northern Israel called Nazareth, a carpenter lived there named Joseph. He has a noble ancestry. He's distantly related to King David. And we call him a carpenter, even though the word that's tekton in Greek actually can be translated a lot of different ways. It could mean stonemason. It could mean generally builder. But carpenter will do. He's a man who works with his hands. He's got his own business. He's single. He's of marrying age, probably 18 to 20, 21 in that range. And he's establishing for himself a reputation in town. And I think he's ready to start a family, ready to get married. He would have caught the attention of the girls of the village. 
or at least their fathers, he would have caught their attention. That's the human side of the story, a story of the love of a young man with a middle-class job, with a bright future, falling in love with a young girl, looking forward to an ordinary life, living their life just like everybody else lives their lives in the village. But sometimes God takes the ordinary and He changes it into the extraordinary. God did something in this life that is so risky, it just takes your breath away. I mean, let me ask you, would you entrust your future plans to the decision-making power of a hormonal young couple? Or would you entrust the future of the world, the eternal destiny of human beings? See, they had to say yes to the plan that God had for them. And what God was doing through them was a rescue mission for all of us out of love. But this love-struck couple who was counting the days until they get married, they needed to say yes to a shocking plan. It starts with the love story between Joseph and Mary. Matthew shows us that in verse 18 of chapter 1. Go there as, as we read. He writes, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, sometimes we get confused about the relationship that's being described here because we have a lot of hist historical distance between us today and ancient Middle East. And we get a little bit confused about the way this couple is referred to. What exactly was their status? Let's understand that the, the marriage process in this setting in these days was a three-step process. Step number one was engagement. And usually the couple had very little to do with engagement. It was the families that made that decision. When we talk about weddings and marriages in this day and age, we're probably talking about an arranged marriage where the families have made an agreement some time ago. Now, don't hear that as a negative thing because this is loving families trying to make loving decisions for their children as best they know how. And so they have already been engaged, but there's step number two in the wedding process, in the marriage process, and that is betrothal. And betrothal was a formalization of the engagement, okay? So the couple in the betrothal step would actually have a ceremony. It would be public, and they would publicly say, we accept the arrangement that our families have made. We agree and we, we want to be committed to one another to be married. And then there was a third step. The third step was the wedding itself. During the betrothal period, the, wedding, the, the couple lived apart. During the betrothal period, even though they were committed to each other, and if that ended, if their commitment ended, they would have to get a divorce from one another, but they didn't live together, they didn't have any sexual union, and uh, that all waited to the wedding. And at the wedding, there was a second public service, another ceremony, a uh, celebration, and the couple would go home as husband and wife and consummate the marriage. Now, we need to understand that Mary and Joseph were in step two. They were betrothed to one another. They were in love. They were looking forward to the day when they would be able to live together. 
They were considered committed to each other, not only by themselves, but by the entire community. It was a a public understanding. And into this scene comes the news that Mary is pregnant. You can imagine the emotional bombshell for Joseph. Imagine his reaction as he hears the news. Mary, how could you? How could you do this to me? How could you do this to us? I thought you loved me. I I thought that that we were committed to each other and we were going to do this God's way and honor God and honor our parents and our families. And now you tell me this, you're pregnant. Now, it's not clear in the passage about how Joseph got that news. It may be that Mary was the one who broke the news to him, that she's the one who, who told him. And maybe when she told him, maybe she tried to soften the blow by saying, but Joseph, it's not all bad news. You have to understand that God put this baby inside of me. How do you think that went over? God got you pregnant? Really? I'm not sure that would have been helpful because Joseph obviously is devastated and he has a choice. This has put him in a difficult position. You can imagine he's in a tailspin emotionally, what to think, what to do. Matthew tells us he's a righteous man. It means that he operates on the high principles that he was raised with, that he was taught as a boy. Righteously, he realizes that he ought not to marry Mary. She has violated, he thinks, the covenant that they had. He's a scared man. He recognizes that if he was to go ahead and marry her, It would be in the eyes of all the community an admission to the fact that he was the father, that he too had violated his standards and covenant. But he's also a loving man, and he loves Mary. And when he thinks of Mary, he thinks of her through the eyes of love. He realizes that making a big thing of this, big public divorce, would ruin her reputation, would ruin her life, most likely. And so he comes up with a plan. It's the best plan he can think of. It's a middle ground, human compromise solution. We'll just get a quickie divorce. I'll divorce her quietly. I'll walk away from this relationship, close the door on this chapter of my life, get on with something new, and put this all behind me. But that is a decision filled with heartache, filled with regret, because he loves her. Sometimes the best plans that we can come up with are poor choices, right? The best thing that we can think of is still a far cry from the gracious activity of God because God is up to something in this situation that Joseph doesn't realize. He doesn't understand. And God comes to Joseph with an angelic solution. He sends an angel. Let's read. Uh, The story, starting in verse 20, it continues saying, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is a supernatural love story. Joseph has to be brought in on the fact that there's more going on here that meets the eye. So Joseph has a supernatural visit. An angel comes in a dream and gives him assurance. Now, I wonder if you've ever had someone you love 
break your trust. When someone you love, you love breaks your trust, there is a weight that rests on you like, like nothing else. But once that trust is reestablished, you feel lighter, you feel joyful. It, it, it's like the weight of the world has been lifted off of your shoulders. Now, for most of us, that trust is not reestablished by a visit from an angel. For most of us, it's reestablished by the process of time and trustworthiness being seen, which leads to forgiveness and trusting again. But trust is essential inside a love relationship. And God knew that. He knew that for Joseph. He understood that that's what he needed. He felt the fear of Joseph fearing that he couldn't trust the one he loves the most. And so God sent that angel to give Joseph the reassurance, you can trust Mary, you can trust her love, and you can trust God. Because in what looks like the most heartbreaking situation of life, God is surprisingly working. He's working in the background. He's working in a way that you haven't seen yet. It hasn't come to the light except for this very moment. But you can trust that nothing is too hard for God. No solution is beyond his reach. And he's working in Mary's situation. God gave Joseph reassurance to trust unbelievably, supernaturally, beyond anything he could ask or think God was working. And Joseph chose to love Mary. He chose to protect her. He chose to go to her and give her himself again. It's actually a, a reflection of the love story of God because this is a love story within a love story. God chose us. Even though we rebelled against him in our sin, even though we are separated from God, left by ourselves and in in himself, he chose us out of pure love. He didn't need us, but he loved us. And he sent Jesus to earth on a rescue mission so that we can find peace with God. These love stories are parallel. And Joseph responds not with his little solution. He responds with God's big solution. And he takes Mary as his wife. Go down to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And she gave him the name Jesus. Here again, there's an opportunity for us to understand what sometimes is confused. Joseph went and married Mary. In Luke, in Luke chapter 2, when the angels come and the story of Bethlehem happens, uh, we see them go to Bethlehem and find that there's no room in the inn. And it says there that they're betrothed. Sometimes we read the, the Luke story of, the, of Christmas and we think that, that Mary and Joseph are still in an engagement. They're not really husband and wife. That's not right. They have been married. He marries her right away. However, they have not had sexual union. And again, we see an insight into the Jewish ancient culture. In the, in the eyes of the culture, they are technically still betrothed until they have a sexual relationship. But reality is they have had a mar marriage ceremony. They are, they are married as they go to Bethlehem and give birth to Jesus. And what we see in this story is that not only does love protect, as Joseph chooses to protect Mary, he's going to have to protect her over and over again. 
He's going to have to be willing to stand up to the glances and the questions and the whispered rumors that will no doubt come around her. There's going to be those who begin to count. How long have you been married? When did you give birth? That's going to happen. And Joseph's going to have to protect and stand with Mary. And we see that love protects, but we also see that love gives. Joseph gives himself. And Christmas is a love story. And God gives to us out of love. Probably the most well-known verse in all the Bible we heard earlier as the kids opened the service, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Love gives. God so loved the world, he gave his Son. Jesus himself is speaking those words in John chapter 3. He's speaking about himself and his mission. When he said God gave his son, he's meaning uh, God gave me on a mission to come to the earth to pay the penalty of sin, to die on the cross, to take the wrath of God on myself so that you don't have to bear it. He wasn't a sinner, but he took our place on that cross. See, the Christmas story is really a story of the cross. Don't linger too long next to a lovesick couple. Don't linger too long at the cradle. Don't linger too long at the starry hillside with the shepherds because God ga God's gaze moves forward always to the cross where Christ gave his life for us. In John 3, 16, Jesus is talking about Christmas. He doesn't really use the word but he gives us the idea. He gives us the content. This was Christmas. God gave his son. And he's speaking these words to a very religious man. This religious man who was a leader in the religion of the Jews at the time sought Jesus out. His name was Nicodemus. No doubt he had heard Jesus speak. He was following his reputation as a rabbi and a teacher. And as Nicodemus began to hear what Jesus was saying, there stirred within in himself a concern. There was a sense of need. Even though he was religious and even though he was looked up to, there was something lacking. He felt an emptiness inside. He sensed that he did not have peace with God like he saw in this rabbi from Galilee. And so Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. That's the setting of John chapter 3. And he asked them some questions about what it means to really find peace with God and a relationship with God because Nicodemus knew that he had a problem, a spiritual problem. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, that's kind of like how I feel. I'm lacking peace with God. I sense that there's something more. And even though I go through the motions of religion and I do all this stuff, I, I just, I don't have that inner sense that I am where God wants me to be. Now, if you feel that way today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice. You say, what? Rejoice in my lack of peace? Yes, rejoice. It begins there. Everything begins there because the Bible calls that conviction, a sense of need. Jesus' most famous speech while he was uh, on the earth was the Sermon on the Mount. And the very first thing he says in the Sermon on the Mount is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
That's the first of what we call the Beatitudes. They're the descriptions of a life that God blesses. And he begins by saying, when you're poor in spirit, the word actually means destitute, so poor that you can't help yourself. When you realize that you are spiritually destitute and there's a lack in me that I cannot fill, that's when spiritual work begins. It's the beginning of the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to show us that he can fill that emptiness. That's just what Nicodemus was feeling that night as he was meeting with Jesus. He was feeling that he was poor in spirit and he needed something that Jesus was offering. And Jesus tells him why Christmas happened out of love. Christmas happened because love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't use the word, but the content is there. And it goes on to say there's a second reason Christmas happened, because he came to save us. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That word saved sometimes leaves a sour taste in our mouth. Sometimes we, we don't like to hear the idea that there's a problem. Our pride rebels against that. We don't want to imagine that we have a need The word saved tells us that before that, we were in jeopardy. But Jesus assures us that no matter how we feel, there's a greater reality that we cannot see, a supernatural reality. And without peace with God, we have a problem. And the problem is sin. And sin carries consequence both in this life and the next. And that's what Nicodemus sensed. He, he, he sensed his, his need to take care of those consequences. And maybe you feel that today too. That maybe it's just a glimmer or maybe it's an ache. What I need is to be washed clean again. I need to get my guilt dealt with. I need to find forgiveness. We need to be saved. Saved from a very real place of punishment called hell. Saved to a life connected with what God is doing in the world. We are saved to that and a promise of eternity. But there is a darkness in all of us that pushes that away at first, that pushes that message away, a darkness that's framed in these kinds of words. It says, well, this is just the way I am. It says, well, this is the way I was raised. It says, well, it will never get better. I'm all on my own. I'm going to take my chances. Jesus talks about that darkness right in this very same passage. In verse 19, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Left to ourselves, we will prefer the darkness. And that is why God didn't leave us to ourselves. Jesus came. God with us. Imagine for a moment that you're a parent and your children, as you're sitting on your front porch of your home, imagine a front porch. As you're sitting there, your children are playing in the street. And all of a sudden, you see a car barreling towards them. You know that they don't see that car. And you see the danger that they're in. What do you do in that moment? Don't you jump out of your seat and run into the street shouting, get out of here, there's a car, get out of the street. You're in danger. You do everything you can to rescue your child from the danger that you see that they don't know about. That's exactly God's position. 
He sees the danger, and He comes to the rescue. And when He does that, we need to trust Him. Just like your children in the street, they need to trust your voice and respond to your call in order to be saved. It's exactly the same situation we're in with our Heavenly Father. We need to trust His voice and respond when He calls to be saved. And when He makes the call, He puts it this way. Jesus says, you must be born again. That's the call. Now, we use that phrase, and sometimes we get confused by it, but it's very simple. It really means you need to start over spiritually. Everybody needs to come to that point when we start over with God as the center of our life. It's possible because Jesus deals with our problem on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin there. He rose from the dead, demonstrating that He was God the Son in the flesh. And He offers us forgiveness that He earned in our place. But He doesn't force it on us. Because all of this is about love. And love chooses. He gives us the choice. He says, I will offer you this forgiveness, but I want you just to take it as a gift and choose it by faith. That's how the choice is made. And when we exp uh, extend our faith to Jesus, His grace saves us, and we are changed from the inside out. It's just like starting over, spiritually new. And what happens in that moment is we are forgiven for our sins, and we have a new path now living with Jesus. That's the story he was telling Nicodemus that night. That's the offer he was making Nicodemus. You choose to believe and faith will save you. That's our choice as well. And that faith is expressed in a prayer, calling out to God and understanding that He hears your prayer in response. Now, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, that's, that's what I need to do. Now, I haven't done it, and I need to do it. I need to start over now in a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to give you the chance to do just that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Everybody just go into an attitude of prayer because there's maybe just a few people who need to do that today. But if it's you, I'm going to help you do that by leading you in a prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You just say it quietly in your heart. God will hear. But it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to start over. This time, in a relationship with you. Forgive my sin. Make me new. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. And I believe you can forgive me. I'm yours. Now, if you pray that prayer, the angels are rejoicing. And Lord, I don't know who prayed that prayer this morning. I can't see into the hearts, but you can. And I believe that there are some here who said yes to faith, maybe for the first time or maybe in a renewed way this morning. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will honor that prayer, that you would change them from the inside and they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are forgiven forever for sure. Lord, then give them that assurance, I pray. And we thank you that all of us were in the sights of your love. And that's what Christmas is all about. We rejoice in that. In your name we pray. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer with me a moment ago, we have another song that we want to uh, participate in, but uh, after that we'll be dismissed. But I'm going to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, to slip forward and meet the prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table, because I have a book I'd like to send you. It talks about the next steps after a decision, maybe for the first time or a renewed faith decision, and uh, I'd like to mail this book to you so you can get going and read it, but uh, I need to know who you are and where to send it. And the prayer counselors will jot down your contact information, and I'll get this into to you this week. Will you slip forward and meet with them uh, after uh, we're dismissed in a moment? But first, let's just hear once again uh, some of the great music rejoicing in the Lord.
Would you stand with me for the benediction? And as I pray, I'm also gonna pray a blessing on the food over at the reception, so you can eat it right away. You're not gonna choke on it. It's blessed already. And I also wanna remind you that if you prayed that prayer with me, slip forward, have the prayer counselors fill out a sheet for you so I can send you the book. But first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's all about love. Your love for us. And you invite us to love you back in a relationship of faith. Thank you for that. Dismiss us from this place as we go to the reception. Thank you for the food that's prepared. And we pray as we fellowship together that our words will give you glory. That we get to know one another and we rejoice in the, in the bond that we share because we share your love. So thank you. As we go our way, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would watch over us and use us in ways that bring you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.